0: Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I am your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. Before we get started, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter or The X. You can find me at BrewersFan91. You can find Matt at Matthew underscore E underscore Morris. And we've got first base rankings, dynasty rankings overall, and then our prospect rankings that we will go over and we've got just a few news news items that we will talk about. But first, let's bring in Matt. Matt, how are you doing on this fine day after Christmas? Yeah, you know I'm, uh, <clears throat> you know, just relishing
1: in the fact that we are pausing the entire world because we have a couple of holidays back to back. And I think it's maybe the first year of my life, or maybe the second, with my lack of memory from last year, where I'm just frustrated that the world shuts down, especially on business days. Christmas obviously coming on a monday christmas eve on a sunday so you know you get back in and the world is active today but everyone's still in kind of that comatose nature kind of leading into new year's eve and new year's day um i just think i'm taking off the next two weeks every single year because there's literally no point to try to be productive nothing is working in your favor but here we are giving you some first base rankings you will be listening to this wednesday morning presumptively and at least I personally am very aggressive with my first base rankings and where I am tiering people and we'll kind of get into that and, and some of the reasons why.
0: Yeah, I am uh, actually in that comatose state. I'm currently battling COVID, so I did not get the traditional Christmas with the family. Well, Dude, you should, should hit up, extended uh, family. You
1: should hit Travis Kelsey. I hear he's got a solution to that.
0: The two-in-one? Two-in-one, have... baby. Two and one discount
1: double check or uh, two and one. What what would you it's prefer? Probably
0: it's probably why they lost to the Raiders. Um, no, I, all jokes aside, um, I did have a nice Christmas with the the family. It was quarantined in home, so we didn't do much. Um, got to play, watched kind of open some gifts. So that was that was fun. But uh, I think we we're gonna do christmas over new year's weekend with the extended family all uh assuming that we're all healthy by the this your first so covid second covid okay this one's worse than the last one i had that i had the chest pain where it felt like somebody's bear hugging you and a little bit of shortness of breath mm-hmm. kind of like what you had but outside of that it's just the lack of energy stuffy you nose, know sore throat you know the bells and whistles of it all but uh, enough about me and COVID. Let's talk about some news. Since we last talked, Yoshinobo Yamamoto has finally decided to sign. He signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers for 12 years, $325 million. Funny, it's $1 million more than what Garrett Cole signed for, which was the largest signing for a pitcher. Um, the years are different. I think Eric Cole's eight or nine years Yamamoto. This is twelve years, so he doesn't make as much yearly. But I think it's funny that it's kind of a pride thing, or haha, I've got more money than you, or I signed from the highest. So, um, any initial thoughts from you, Matt, on Yamamoto going to the Dodgers?
1: Yeah, I I love it from from a fantasy perspective. I think when you're talking. Potential landing spots for Yamamoto. You were talking with the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers were obviously kicked around. I don't think a lot of us really thought that was going to happen. And here we are, he's on the Dodgers. So I think overall, this was good for baseball, good for fantasy. People can bitch and complain about how they didn't want him on the Dodgers and how the Dodgers spent a billion dollars and this and that. But at the end of the day, you have two premier players from a premier market, especially from a baseball perspective, playing on the same team, which is going to help expand the game. It's going to help market the game. And it's going to bring more TV revenue to the game, which is desperately in need of an influx of cash right now with the Valley Sports incident. So I think this is good for them. Also good from Spectrum's perspective, who signed that massive deal with the Dodgers, what it seems like now a decade ago. Um, All around, I'm happy. But again, from a dynasty perspective, he's in a good ballpark in a division where he gets to pitch against the Rockies. And even though the Diamondbacks made the World Series, I'm still okay with them and their potential for for output for runs. Uh, I think this is a plus division. The Giants as well. Padres might be a little bit of a difficulty, but you are talking about really just uh, Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado now in, in that lineup. Everybody else is kind of sub-tier. Um, Luis Camposano obviously is nice. So great division to play in, great ballpark to play in, great run support, and I think ultimately best for his career because presumably coming into the 2025 season, we should probably see a six-man rotation which yes, for points leagues is going to be frustrating, especially if you're in weekly formats. But this is kind of the name of the game and on how some of these, these pitchers are being handled now. That's something that Otani has dealt with for years himself, and you've been okay with it. Um, in first-year player drafts, this is cementing Yamamoto as the number two overall pick for me, Wyatt Lankford being one, and then you picking your choice of Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, or Walker Jenkins at that three position. Um It's great. I'm very happy and um, happy for baseball. I think think these two pitchers, Otani and Yamamoto, are going to really help change the face of baseball and its marketing program.
0: Yeah, I definitely like Yamamoto going to the Dodgers. Um, For all the reasons you said, I don't like him going to the Dodgers because my prediction was him going to the Yankees, so that's another one that I had wrong where it almost seemed like he was a lock. They had his number um his favorite number for his jersey saved and they're desperately in need of some rotational help after the Soto trade so I thought for sure he was going to the Yankees especially after the five or six meetings and I think last time we talked there was um talks of them using a Babe Ruth hologram to get him to convince him to sign with them so I think that's just a little funny another Um, international signing was Yuki Matsui, the closer for the KBO, signs with the San Diego Padres for five years, $28 million. The interesting thing is because the Padres, they lost Josh Hader, obviously. They were looking to have having some combination of Robert Suarez or Aniel De Los Santos as their closer. It's unknown if Matsui is going to be their everyday closer. I believe he's a lefty. But the knock on him is he doesn't throw that hard. He's five foot eight, which I know you're a big fan of. Um, And he's coming over from Korea. So there's a lot of unknowns with Matsui here. I don't know if they're gonna mix and match do a three headed committee. Just something to monitor and keep in mind in your drafts i know in our dynasty leagues i have a few shares of robert suarez and de los santos so i'm not the the biggest fan of the signing um begrudgingly but any thoughts from you matt on him matt suey signing with the san diego padres
1: yeah it frustrates me because um is it suarez that we have picked up in a few leagues am i thinking of the correct individual
0: yeah, Robert Suarez. Yeah,
1: Suarez I've picked up in a few leagues. You have picked up De Los Santos, as you just mentioned. You know, I, I've kind of been pairing those two up in as many leagues that you're not in with me. And just assuming that, okay, we'll be okay, I'll have one of them. And Matsui coming into the equation really throws a loop for that. And,
0: and I tried to get him in those leagues, and he was already rostered. So I was like,
1: damn it. Yeah, it, it puts a wrinkle into the equation. and. You know, from that perspective, it's a little frustrating, but I also think there's still opportunity. When you look at Matsui dropping his walk rate down this season to a 6% clip, he was at 11% before, and the, I think the big takeaway at 11% is that's unacceptable from a major league level, especially as a back-of-the-end closer with the danger that sits at the major league level for hitters. Now... He's also a shorter in stature individual, if I'm correct, 5'8", 165. So you're talking about a guy that's going to be more finesse. I think what we could be really looking at here with Matsui is them giving him the opportunity to close, but what he ends up ultimately becoming with that $24 million deal is a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here, a finite left-handed arsenal out of the bullpen where Suarez or De Los Santos gets the opportunity to close. It will be interesting to track his effectiveness at the major league level Coming over from there's Japan and being very very effective, um, yeah,
0: yeah. So I th- just threw up some, found some numbers. <clears throat> this is all from the World Baseball Classic. His fastball averages ninety one point seven miles an hour. He does have some change ups, two sliders, and a curveball. ball. Um, but he is the the most decorated for the Nippon. I don't know if I'm saying that right for Japanese. Um, The youngest pitcher to reach 200 saves, career 2.4 ERA, 236 saves altogether. Um, So he's highly decorated, but then again, it is uh, the Japanese league. So we'll see. The last bit of news we have before diving into our rankings is the outfielder Estevan Florio of the New York Yankees has been traded to the Cleveland Guardians for Cody Morris. On the surface, this makes a ton of sense. The Dodgers... Stole Yamamoto away from the Yankees, so they need some help. Go inside Cody Moore. Go and trade for Cody Morris. Um, They don't need Estevan Florio after they went and got Verdugo and Soto. I think it makes sense for both teams. My biggest takeaway is Estevan Florio might have a little bit of deep sleeper fantasy appeal now that he goes to the Guardians. Yes, it's a worse ballpark, but he's got more space to actually get a starting job. Who do they have in Guardians Uh, Stephen Kwan, Miles Straw, uh, Ramon Laureano. So their outfield's nothing special. He can definitely at least get into a platoon role at the very least over at the guardians where I did not see him getting any playing time with the Yankees. Anything else you want to note on that trade before we hop into our rankings?
1: No, I think you said it best. I think this is opportunity. I think if I'm correct, he's coming in 26, 27 age season. Um, you know, he, he had a flash with the Yankees, I want to say, in 2022. Maybe it was just last year. But you're right, the playing time is not there. There are question marks of whether Dominguez will either, even be starting when he comes back or he will be sent back to the minors for an extended rehab stay. And I think from a player that has tools, he's going to need time to play. And I could see his career going very similar to Jose Siri for Tampa, formerly of Houston. I mean, given an opportunity, might be able to flash those allowed tools as a usable player for an organization that is lacking tools. Now, that outfield is cramped. So, they're going to have to figure out the exact mix and match plays, but Florio's ability should at least give him some playing time in Cleveland.
0: He is 26 years old, just turned 26 on November 25th. So he's still got plenty of years ahead of him. And you know what I just realized is in one of our dynasty leagues, before the Soto and Verdugo stuff went on, in our points dynasty league, met, I went and drafted Everson Pereira and thought I was getting a steal with him because I paired him up with Jason Dominguez, and I was like, perfect. I'll have a Yankees outfielder, and I'm just coming to the realization in this moment that Everson Pereira does nothing for me now. So that's fine.
1: Yeah, Pereira is probably the biggest loser in regards to prospect rankings of everyone, yeah, because yeah. Um, Florio was already he was already a loser, but he already had lost out; he had lost his opportunity to play. Pereira had overtaken him in the prospect ranks, but now you're really talking about Pereira will be shopped. Like he he's probably going to be moved for a bullpen arm because everyone knows the Yankees can't play him, so there's no leverage. And hopefully, he goes to a team that can play him, and and they will benefit.
0: Yeah, absolutely all right enough of the yankees we talked about them way too much now let's get into our first base rankings we'll first start off with our overall major league dynasty rankings i've got my first 15 ranked we'll see how far we want to go before we dive into the prospect i'm just going to list off my top five they're pretty straightforward self-explanatory and for first base overall in my opinion i feel there's two tiers The first tier is like the elite, super elite, like you're golden, you're solid, and these are my first five guys. Then the next tier is a group of four players, and it's really three and a half because one of them has a wart, and then it completely falls off, in my opinion, at least for Dynasty. And I'll mention that um, as we go. But my super elite tier, or pretty much you said it, forget it, Matt Olson at number one, Vlad Guerrero at number two pete alonzo at number three bryce harper for now at number four and then freddie freeman at number five normally freddie freeman would be a much higher but since we are going from the dynasty approach he's 34 years old getting up there in age i don't know when the fall is going to happen um so i still think he's an elite first baseman he's just the last one i would take in this tier vlad guerrero vlad guerrero i would normally have a little bit lower in a redraft rankings but again he's only 24 years old when we look at the rest of these top five that i have alonzo 29 matt olson 29 harper 31 freeman 34. there's at least a five age five-year age gap between all of them yeah vlad had um, a down season but there's still so much room for improvement here that i think his age compared to the rest of this group puts him up there at number two for me so that's my top five I don't know how you want to go through yours. I'll uh, kick it over to you and let you know if there's anything you want to say about these guys.
1: Yeah, as we're having this conversation and as I sit here with my uh, Vlad Jr. signed jersey literally hanging above my head, I think it's time I make an adjustment to my rankings and stop being silly here. Um, So kicking off, I have Matt Olson as well. At number one, I think when you're talking about age, productivity, and lineup and team attachments – He's a clear number one for me. Uh, I expect to have a three to probably six-year window where Matt Olson's going to be a top 10 first baseman. I think you have a three to four-year window where he's a top five, if not top three. Moving on to Bryce Harper, I think this was probably the last year we are ranking him as a first baseman. I do expect him to go back to the outfield. So that kind of hinders the fact that he is my number two. But again, you are drafting Bryce Harper happily in the outfield or at first base and right now. The outfield is more of a stingy, harder-to-navigate position in, in startup dynasty leagues than first base. So I'm actually happy he will be moving to outfield. In my opinion, if you're drafting him, I would be looking to draft one of the top five prospect first basemen that we're also talking about almost as your first priority. That way you are handcuffing yourself when Harper does go back to the outfield. Coming in at number three... I have moved Vlad Guerrero up my rankings quite considerably because I do believe what you said. And when I actually look at his stat line in comparison to guys like Torkelson or Casas, he's right in line. And our expectations were that Vlad would be an MVP candidate every year. He hasn't given us that, but it doesn't detract from the fact of his age as well as his former ability, as well as his current ability. Uh, So I have Vladimir Guerrero in at three. Uh, Pete Alonso coming in at number four for similar reasons I talked about with Olsen. I think you have a three to four year window where he's still very, very productive. Uh, You could even have a longer window since he is more of a power first approach. And I I think he comes in locked in at number four. Number five for me is Tristan Casas coming in right above Spencer Torkelson. I know that he's six, but Casas has given me just a little bit more hope so far than Torkelson. And I do like the ballpark a little bit more for Casas.
0: I like everything you said. The only difference is you don't have Freddie Freeman in your top five nope. and you have Tristan Casas in there. Yep. And I do like Casas. He is my number six. Um, I liked how he ended the season. His overall stat lines don't show up. Okay. Ended with 263, 24 homers, a good walk to strikeout ratio, 70 walks, 126 strikeouts. Um, definitely on the up and up. Um, but it's just the, the lack of what's the word I'm looking for track record? Cause he's only put up those great numbers in a half, half season. Um, so I'm right there with you. I just can't get there. And I'm curious with Freddie Freeman, is it just his age that gets him, keeps him out of your top five? And I'm curious cause I don't have your rankings up. Where do you have Freddie Freeman?
1: Yeah, it's, it's age and it's cost. We're talking about having to take Freddie Freeman end of the first start of the second in most of the draft drafts that you and I have done this year. Yeah. And I You're will never going to get him I will not do that. So that goes into my rankings equation as well. And, and it's, it's why I originally, why I had Vlad so far down in my rankings, because I was also constantly passing on Vladimir Guerrero jr. It just wasn't going to happen. I'm not taking Vlad jr over at the end of the first round, Garrett Cole, uh, Spencer Str- uh, Strider, Corbin Burns. Like I'm going to grab a number one guarantee and I'm going to let the first baseman walk. And so for me, like, Casas and Torkelson are rated higher, Pasquintino, Christian Carnacio Strand, all over Freddie Freeman. And then I have Xavier Isaac and Kyle Manzardo, both prospects. Never took a major league bat over Freddie Freeman. That's why I, wild, wild take here. But I'm not paying for Freddie Freeman. And if I'm not paying for Freddie Freeman, I'm dropping you in my rankings. Like I, I can't That's an put, interesting approach, put yeah. you at five or four. And I know that you know that kind of defeats but the he, concept, but he's too costly
0: to pay to pay devil's advocate let's say for whatever reason we're in a draft full of you and me and say there's just 12 of us that have the same logic you're sitting in the fifth sixth round and you're staring at taking freddie freeman or xavier isaac and your top 10 are gone so no ces torkelson casas they're all gone you taking freddie freeman or xavier isaac
1: does i can i get xavier isaac on the turn on the comeback
0: it's unknown. You have no idea. You're drafting with a bunch of you and me's.
1: I mean, first and foremost, this is unrealistic. It's not going to happen.
0: But it's just it's just a fun idea, I get that. just because um, of how you're doing your rankings is is your logic. So, well, but I just want to put you in the scenario.
1: You're not putting into the equation the cost. Well, the real the real question here is not what you just said. The real question is second round. Am I taking Freddie Freeman or am I taking? No, let's say Corbin you're not Verse? doing it.
0: You're not doing that. No, no, but, but my point is scenario.
1: I will choose Christian Walker in the 8th round, and I will choose Xavier Isaac in the 10th round or the ninth but round. The
0: point I'm trying to make is you have Xavier Isaac over Freddie Freeman.
1: But you're not listening. This is done because of cost. You are trying to pick a hole in the rankings, but that hole doesn't exist <laughs> in the rankings, so you can't you can't pick okay. a hole. You know what I'm saying? Like Freddie Freeman Maybe does well. <laughs> not fall to the 5th round. That's why he's rated lower. There is no like... Well, you know, Bryce Harper's there in the ninth round. Like That's, that's not happening.
0: Okay, I'll stop poking the bear.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, the, the real conversation here is, okay, so you don't do take Freddie saying. Freeman. What it, like, you know, say Casas, Torque are gone, which we've had in drafts, right? Vinny goes, CES goes, like, oh, shit, now I'm stuck. Like, okay, I've got to take Manzardo here, which I did in a draft with you this year. Now, what if Manzardo's gone? It's like, oh, shit, I have to take, I have to take Xavier Isaac now in seventh, eighth round, I have no choice. Like, I can't wait. And I have to then hope to God Christian Walker's there on the comeback, right? Like I have to pair these two up so that I'm getting 80% of Freddie Freeman and hope to God that in five and six years, I'm getting a top five first baseman. Because you're right. If Freddie's there in the fifth, I'm taking Freddie and presumably trying to get Isaac trying to get a, 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 well, I can't even say his name, a Bell Mick. Abby a, Yes. Thank you. Um, you know, or getting a Ryan Clifford or, you know, the names go on that we'll talk about, but I think the, the craziest fall I think I've seen so far. And we talked about this was Kyle Schwarber in a, in an average league who fell to the eighth round. Um, and you, me and you spoke on it and I was like, well, do we take him or not take him?" Right. Like if he had fallen to the ninth, I think I'd take him, but he had, and he he fell two picks before me, and it was like he his value had fallen so low in an average league where it was finally like okay like everything else you're getting is there. Freeman goes to f- the fifth round, you you're taking him because it's two to three good years left. I think yeah. it's probably two great years and then the third is good and then there's a huge fall off, but that's still valuable. And the hard part is tradability, right? After this season, he's going to be very hard to trade because everyone's going to be waiting for the fall off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, enough of playing devil's advocate on Freddie Freeman. All right, the next set of guys is my six through nine, and this is my second tier where I actually love to target my first base in this group. At number six, I have Tristan Casas, who we just talked about. Spencer Torkelson had a phenomenal second half after you dropped him in our OG league, naturally. Um, At number eight, I have Christian Encarnacion Strand, I do think he loses first base eligibility. I think he's going to be DH only with the signing of Junior. No, not Junior. uh, Jamer Candelario. Uh, I think Candelario plays first and CES is their full-time DH. But we'll see. Maybe he mixes in and keeps first base. And then the one that's the fringe for me is Cody Bellinger at number nine. He's the last of the tier where if I get him as my first base, I'm okay with it, but I'm not confident. Just because... Yes, he had a great bounce back year, but all the underlying metrics and stuff, the hard hit, um, his power, um, average exit velocities are all lower than what they should have been. I think he does hit for good average. I don't think he produces the power and i also worry about wherever he signs is he going to be in the outfield or is he going to be first base so there's a lot of concerns with cody bellinger he's also the oldest of the second tier for me 28 compared to casas at 23 torkelson at 24 and ces at 24 so they're all still young same age as vlad lots of upside plenty of years left um the other thing i should note is when i was doing these rankings matt i didn't include the, the young prospects because I had them in a separate rankings as we get to them. So I don't have Isaac and Manzardo listed in here, but they would definitely be, I'm trying to think of if you're staring at Cody Bellinger, Isaac and Manzardo, do they go ahead of Bellinger or do they go after Bellinger? Because they're, they're come because the next set of group guys I have are older guys or less ceiling, which we'll talk about after you go through your next batch. But I'll let you go ahead and talk about your next few guys, and I'll debate on where I'm going to slide in Isaac and Manzardo here.
1: Well, and I think next year, too, how I'm going to do my rankings is I'm going to do it in two different facets. I'm going to do my, my rankings as you did, you know, 1 through 10, where I'm comfortable, where I rank these guys. And then I'm going to do my real rankings, which is I'm just taking guys out that are costing more than, I'll, than I'm willing to spend. Right? Like, in this equation, I'm taking... Freddie Freeman completely off the list. Like, I know I'm not drafting Freddie Freeman this year. So he's gone. Bye. You know? Cody Bellinger, same thing. I'm not taking you. You're gone. Bye. Now, if this is outfield, I'm more willing to take Cody Bellinger. That's a different discussion. But at the first base ranks, he's not falling in line. Because as it stands right now, I have Ortiz ahead of Cody Bellinger right behind Freeman. I have no idea if Ortiz will ever be any good at the major league level. But just the power potential and the age organizationally I like that. I like the cost. I'm also probably getting Ortiz 10 rounds after Bellinger.
0: So yeah, Bellinger's price is a little too high. So he's probably not even available. If I'm looking at the cost of Torkelson CES range. Yeah. Bellinger's probably long gone. Well,
1: I'm especially saying. with outfield Forget scarcity. About that. Um, oh, so yeah. that's the hard thing. Like yes, Cody Bellinger is a first base eligible player, but the reality is you're probably using him in the outfield this year. So for me, I have uh, Torkelson coming in at six, Vinny P at 7, CES Christian Encarnacion Strand at 8. We talked about Isaac and Manzardo coming in at 9, 10, but we'll just skip over those for the minor league portion. Uh, Freddie Freeman coming in at 10. I think the interesting conversation is Manzardo or Freeman age. Obviously, Manzardo, I think, has actually a lot of Freddie Freeman similarities. Obviously, not going to give you Freddie Freeman production for a number of years, but I think has the possibility to long-term. Um, Cody Bellinger would technically be my 10th, it looks like. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking about Freeman and Bellinger right there. Like, they're 9'10", because I'm just not going to draft
0: them. Yeah, no, I hear you. All right, let's wrap up. I've got through 15 ranked, and a lot of these guys are just because of age or limited upside, or I just haven't seen quite enough. Um, Number 10, I have Christian Walker at 32. Gives you good power, not as much average. He's like in that mid range. He's not quite old enough, but he's not young enough. So where does he fall? So he falls in at number ten for me. At eleven, I have Paul Goldschmidt, thirty six up there. We're I think we're starting to see the decline. I don't think he bounces back. I think it just continues to go down from here. At number 10, 12, I have Josh Naylor at twenty. He's only twenty six years old. A lot of growth. I don't think. I think he's going to give you above average. In almost every category, I don't think he's going to hit over 300, but I think something realistically at 270, 280 with 20 to 25 homers, sometimes thrown in 30. Um, pretty solid there. You can't go wrong there. At 13, I have Nate Lowe. Um, had a down year compared to the previous year where he hit 31 home runs. This year, it was closer to 20. Average ticked down a little bit as well. I think that's the lowest we'll see of Nate Lowe. I think... He's not what he did two years ago, but I think he's somewhere in the middle, something closer to 270, 280 guy with 20 to 25 home runs is a realistic expectation, which is still a very good player. Um, but he's on the older side of the first baseman, and he doesn't provide that power upside like a Pete Alonso, Harper, Olsen that are around the similar age that are higher. Um, and then rounding out, Yandy Diaz at 32, uh he's 32 years old at number 14. Reese Hoskins I have at 15. He's 30 coming back from ACL provides power, but I I mean he might rise up a few ranks here if we see him produce. Um and it also depends on where he signs, I think is gonna be a big deal for Reese Hoskins. Um but yeah, the one thing we forgot to mention is I actually made a trade in our OG Dynasty League. Um, and it included two first basemen. Should we take a break quick and talk about that trade? I want to get your your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I thought from a pure value perspective, what we're looking at here with just our rankings. I mean, price point goes into the equation. Age goes into the equation. Controllability goes into the equation. But, you know, for a team that's competing this season like you are, you're upgrading your first base potentially, right? Alonzo provided value with a really good season, I think, is far and away. Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, Let's Let's give the listeners. So the trade the trade was I gave away Nate Lowe, who I had at 13, and I received Pete Alonzo. So before you break it down, let's tell the listeners what it was. Um, I received Pete Alonzo. There's a few caveats because we do go by the contract system of a max four years. So Pete Alonzo is going to cost $28 this year, but he is on his final year. So he's pretty much a one year rental for me compared to Nate Lowe, who I think is it's either 12 or $13, but he's only on his second year of his four year contract. So he is a little more controllable as you said. So having set that precedent, now you can go and break it down.
1: Okay. And you said it best, right? Like those—that's the variable rate here. The team you traded with, I think, looks at your team, looks at a few other teams in the league, and says, "Okay, I took a swing. I—I—I I, I missed. This is a team that had acquired Jacob Degrom and really had built that into the plans for competitiveness, and is rebuilding. And I, I get the perspective that you know they're banking on Nate Lowe taking a step forward, yet still in his career beyond what we've already seen, which is a couple steps forward, in a great lineup. Now, I do understand that at times you're willing to acquire a future down the road, you know, piece. And we do that a lot with prospects. But for me, Nate Lowe is not necessarily the type of player I would have been looking to trade, especially after this team gave you Xavier Isaac a few months ago. And I understand that those parameters were kind of a gentleman's agreement. I personally would have rather received Xavier Isaac for Pete Alonso, I even would have gone as far, and I know you would not have done this, but I would have said, give me Xavier Isaac, give me Nathan Lowe, Lowe, and we'll make this deal. Now, you, unlike other managers, know the value that we value Isaac at, so you're going to say immediately no. For your team, though, I think this is exactly the kind of move you make. It solidifies the position. You don't have to worry about a step forward in a year that you're absolutely contending for a championship, and a year where entering into free agency you're outpriced by a few teams where it's going to make it very difficult to add that same level of value in the free agent market when you can just acquire it via trade. So looking off pure rankings, I mean, I don't love the deal for the individual that gave up low, but also from what was available, he probably wasn't getting Ortiz. He wasn't getting Manzardo. He wasn't getting Isaac. He's not getting Christian and Canacio and Strand. He could have just drafted Vinny P, which I think would have been my move, hold on to Pete Alonso draft Vinny Pasquantino look to move Pete Alonzo mid season, but a trade was made now. And I, I give you, I think probably a B plus because you are going to be losing Alonzo after the season. Correct? Yeah.
0: And unless I franchise him, which I won't. won't do, you can
1: always trade him, but you know, you will be competitive at that point. So you probably won't be trading him. Um, and then, you know, this other team gets Nate low to kind of cement that first base position for a number of years Personally, if I'm a contending team, Nate Lowe is not the type of guy that I want cemented as my first baseman. So I'm not trading for him as a kind of a filler piece. Um, so I give the team that traded away with Nate Lowe probably a C with the opportunity of it becoming a B if Nate Lowe takes a step forward. If Nate Logan can hit 270 with 33 home runs this year, you oh, know, pie in the face. For him.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Enough of that. That ends my first base rankings I will let you finish off yours, and then we can jump into our prospect rankings.
1: Yeah, mine are similar to yours. Uh, Cody Bellinger, we talked about being 10th for me finishing out the last tier. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe coming in at 11. You know, we just spoke on him. I do think there's a possibility of a step forward. I'm not banking on it, but I do think it can happen where he could presumably move into a top-five role at first base, but growth has to be there. Development has to be there. He had really hot and cold streaks last season, which really hindered his overall numbers. Josh Naylor coming in at 12 for me. Spencer Steer at 13. He will presumably be losing first base eligibility. Um, the, The word is he will be an outfielder full time. Kind of back to the Cody Bellinger situation. I'm okay with that. If I'm gaining an outfielder while I'm able to use them at first base this season. And, you know, we're talking about pairing Spencer Steer with a prospect. Being only 26 years old, I like that you know, opportunity a lot because you presumably have four or five prime years in Steer in a great ballpark and a really nice lineup. A lot of opportunity for counting stats. 14 and 50 to round out my list. Christian Walker, uh, same concept we talked about earlier, pairing it with a prospect. He's much older than Steer, so obviously Steer would be my preferred pick here. But let's be honest, Steer is gone at this point. And, And after Christian Walker, Andrew Vaughn, this is really where the list gets just uncomfortable. I have Hoskins a few few notches down because of uh, wherever he signs and coming off the injury. I I do like the potential of Hoskins, but right now uh, Christian Walker is proven. Andrew Vaughn being a top five pick, I, I still think there's growth there. I love the new regime change in Chicago. I still think he can be a very productive player. This will probably be the last year, though, that I, I watch his stock rise or fall before he is completely off my top 15 rankings.
0: Who, who is that? I missed it. Uh, Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn, yeah. I feel like the clock is ticking for him to either put up or shut up. So, well, and the reason I don't he's have him in here, but yeah, he'd probably be number 16 behind Hoskins.
1: Yeah, I like, I honestly, I like Hoskins more. But again, from a price point perspective, I think I'm taking Vaughn because I would imagine they're three, four, five rounds apart. Vaughn's a little younger. And, you know, we had concerns about Hoskins before the injury. Um, he's leaving a good ballpark, he's leaving a good lineup. Again, presumably, we still have yet to see where he signs, but. Those question marks have knocked him down my list a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our prospect rankings. I think a lot of them, I think you mentioned before we actually started recording that our top five or six are exactly one for one, which we didn't compare, we didn't talk about it beforehand. We just do our rankings and we put it on our um, rundown and we go over it. And I think that's what happened here. Um, So let's just break it down and number one, I have Xavier Isaac. He was a 2022 first-round draft pick, 29th overall for the Tampa Bay Rays. Gets good grades, 50-grade hit, 60-grade power. Great frame, 6'3", 240. Rose from low A to high A. Overall had a 285 batting average, 19 homers. 64 walks and 92 strikeouts. You love that. Even through in 12 stolen bases, I don't think that translates at the higher level because he is 240 pounds at 6'3". But the thing that I, I think that you and me both fell in love with is his rise and ascension as the season continued. Um, I think he went from low A to high A, I'm pulling up here, in the middle of August. So he batted 3.56 in August and then in September, after moving to high A, also includes it, still bet at 313. So even though his overall numbers suggested he was lower because he bet at 285, he finished the season on a high note. He hit seven home runs um, between August and September. So, I mean, there's a lot to like. He, he Him, like Sam Basalo, finished the season strong. I would argue that Isaac and Basalo were the two hottest prospects to finish the year um, curious if you have any other thoughts on which prospects had a hotter end to the season?
1: Yeah, I mean they both rose so quickly. We had been keeping our eye on Isaac for a number of months. Um, you know, coming out of a high draft position by the Rays in 2022, and after diving a little bit deeper, you look at the body, you look at the size. To me, the immediate comp is a Prince Fielder-esque prospect. Now, I think there is a Similar hit tool. If you remember Fielder, he did have at least one season or multiple seasons with a 300 average. I think Isaac is a 280 to 300 hitter. I think the power, if you give him a 60 grade uh, power and you give Fielder, I mean, Fielder realistically was an 80 grade power guy. He, he was unbelievable. And I talked today that he was probably an 80 grade uh, after the age of 12, which, you know, the video went around of Fielder hitting home runs in Detroit when he was there as a kid with his father. So, I don't think Isaac has the same power ability that Fielder did of a 50 home run season, but I think when you're looking at profiles and you look at underlying numbers as well as just the stat lines, Isaac's minor league numbers, rival Fielder at least at an 80% clip, and I love that. I think we're talking about a guy that's going to be a top five first baseman for a decade and a guy that can really give us maybe what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is doing, but better consistently without the same expectations. And I'm falling in love with the profile. First base is a little bit challenging. I don't know if you were to put Basalo and Isaac in the same first base classification who I'd actually pick. I think it's too early to really dig through the profiles and say I would rather have. But when without Basalo in this rankings, which we don't have, Isaac is the clear-cut number one for me. And then Kyle Manzardo coming in number two, which we'll talk about in a minute, is also the clear-cut number two. So you have a one and two, and both of which I've used in leagues to navigate my drafts, depending on availability, draft position, and value. Manzardo makes sense sometimes to be the guy that's like, well, screw it. I'll lock him in. I'll have my guy for the next 10 years. But Isaac is definitely the target I'm looking at as high upside, number one ranking. And he's been fluctuating in and out of my top 15 major-minor mixture for a while now. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. The profile to me just screams Prince Fielder-esque, you know, and again, the power may not be there, but I absolutely love everything that Isaac shows us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to number two. You um, did a little bit of forecasting. Kyle Manzardo comes in, arguably the number one first base prospect um, across the industry, I would argue, is clear-cut Kyle Manzardo, known for his hit tool over his power. He was uh, drafted in the second round in 2021, 63rd overall. Gets the 60-grade hit, 50-grade power, listed at six foot two oh five, so not nearly as big as Isaac, um, but still can perform. He had a, a pretty down year, but I was trying to look it up while you were talking about Isaac. I believe he dealt with an injury. I wanted to say it was wrist, um, but I think it might have been a shoulder um, but also while doing a quick little research on it turns out that he was distracted last year because turns out he was I paid to talk about family issues but his mom had some heart issues and needs a heart transplant and that was distracting him from the game of baseball so take that with a grain of salt this past year he batted 237 overall he was also traded from the rays to the cleveland guardians Um, So he got a little bit on track after he got traded in September, bet at 254, had six homers, so a little power pop compared to the rest of the year, 17 homers altogether, so six of his homers, six of his 17 homers came in that final month, so love to see that. Um, 254 rose his average a little bit, but I think peak performance once he reaches the majors is something closer to... I want to say Freddie Freeman light. Um, I could see is his ultimate ceiling, something like a 300, a 310 hitter, maybe 20 to 25 home runs. And you love that if you get that at first base, because first base is not known for players who can develop average. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass um, because I, I want to look in a little bit more into his injuries that he had, but he also had some off the field issues as well. Anything else you want to mention on Kyle Manzardo?
1: Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. You know, we're throwing that comp on him for uh, Freddie Freeman, and I think it's, you know, current place. But I really think, thinking back on Major League history, I think the perfect comp for Manzardo is actually Lyle Overbay's prime. prime. Uh, Lyle Overbay being a former Milwaukee Brewer, Arizona Cardinal, Toronto Blue Jay, and then he bounced around the league ultimately, Ending his season with uh, New York and then Milwaukee one last time. If you look at Overbay's best season, it was twenty excuse me two thousand four, age twenty seven. He batted three hundred one with sixteen home runs, fifty three doubles. I think that's still a club record if I am correct. Um, you know, just great hit approach. His on base percentage of that year is also also three eighty five. Strikeouts one twenty eight to eighty one in regards to walks. Really solid profile. That had he been able to keep that going at the major league level. Uh, would have been a fantastic outlook for, for from a dynasty perspective. He finished in 2005 with 34 doubles, 2006 with Toronto, 46 doubles, 22 home runs, batted 312 that season, with a 372 on base percentage. Like, if I can get these numbers from Manzardo, I'm ecstatic. I mean, these are, like you said, Freeman-esque numbers. Over Bay obviously doesn't get the same hype because he's not a Hall of Fame player and he didn't put together those prime years, you know, in the 15-year span that we've seen Freeman do it. But I think you have a great opportunity for an extra base hitter in Manzardo. The power we're going to have to see. I think you really are sitting from that 15 to 25 range, 25 maybe being his best output season, a 300 hitter. We've really got to lean on that uh, OBP to kind of continue to climb. Um, But overall, this is a very safe pick, and I think a guy when you start your dynasties that you can draft – knowing that you'll have that really high floor
0: yeah i completely agree all right let's move to number three my number three is abby malik ortiz first baseman for the texas rangers he had a phenomenal year overall batted 289 33 homers i believe that was near the top of all of the majors um he went from low a to high a i believe he went um Got promoted in may or june i want to say he did struggle to end of the year he was batting well above 300 throughout the first half of the season then in august he did bat 217 and then september he batted 200. so it does concern me slightly but he did put up nine home runs in those last two months Um, and the other thing i wanted to mention was read an article put out by mlb pipeline and over the past year, or in the last offseason before this season, he worked out with a Puerto Rican all star Carlos Delgado and helped him shorten his left handed swing. Um, and he switched from wearing glasses to contact lenses. And that ultimately helped because he only batted 226 last year. And that improved to 294 this year. And he hit more home runs. And the other thing is, he won high A South Atlantic. League MVP. So very decorated for his first um breakout season, rose all the way up to my number three in my first base rankings. Um, who is your number three first base prospect, Matt? Yeah, we're
1: right on par with Ortiz here. Um, I think if we look back on the twenty twenty-three season, it was probably Ortiz and it was Junior Caminero who we were constantly texting each other about or you know, sending home run videos of and these are the two highest risers of the season. And we got really excited since we were really, I think, heavy first half watchers of this year. You know, Basalo and Isaac, we were we were just both kind of busy in July and August with, with the wedding for me. And then we had the bachelor party. So, you know, early season, Ortiz and Caminero were, it was every week we were talking about both of these players. And Ortiz, I think, doesn't get the same shine that Caminero gets because he's obviously in lower levels and... I think we're talking about a 2024 explosion if he can continue doing what he was doing and continue to in- increase that contact rate, and you know start to slowly cut down on the, these strikeouts, no- these strikeout numbers, which are still high, but he's still young, and that will be the case for me if he can get the contact in place, really prove to be a 250 or 260 at the major league level, this power will play. Like this is your DH in Texas. This is going to be the guy that replaces Nate Lau if he does not have that uptick that we talked about or slides into dh it's hard to forecast right now because of the talent that they have and the amount of talent that they have not only in the minor leagues but at the major league level but again you hit you will be found they will find a way to play you at the major league level so he comes in because i think he has the most prodigious power of everyone left on this list that has shown it at least at the minor league level
0: yeah completely agree all right let's move to my number four first baseman and that is somebody we've been talking about since he was in middle school high school maybe and that's blaze jordan of the boston red sox he went from high a to double a last year batting combined at 296 with 18 homers 12 of them coming at high a and six of them coming at double a uh, i love the combination of a good hit tool and power um gets a 50 grade hit 55 power he's only 21 years old so still relatively on the younger side um for being at double a he did just turn 21 um birthday was six days ago on the 19th um yeah i mean i don't know what else there is to say about blaze just keep on chugging along move through the ranks i think we can see him start at double a this year move to triple a and then, if he continues to progress, I think a twenty twenty five debut is very likely for Blaze Jordan. Yeah. Um, having said that, does Blaze Jordan your number four? And anything else you want to say on him?
1: Yeah, Jordan comes in at number four for me as well. And um, this is kind of my next player. Is actually I kind of readjusted my rankings before we came into this. Is where is where we start to deviate, but we've loved blaze for a while for the longest time he was just a guy that we joked around in our group chats, you know, and called dibs on. And I think the big question after they signed him for me was, wow, he really signed and and kind of changed the path. I thought he was going to take, I thought he was going to take that Mississippi state commitment. I thought he was going to go to college. I thought he was going to shoot for a first round pick and, and continue this ascension as one of the high school YouTube stars, very similar to Bryce Harper, now Max Clark, but he chose to sign with the Red Sox in the COVID shortened season. And it was a huge benefit for the Red Sox. The question was, could they turn him into a usable player without having gone the college route where you could have fixed some of those mechanical errors and some of those approach errors that he had in his game? And as of last year, coming into 2023, he had already started the process. And 2023 was a great season for Blaze. And now the question is, do you continue to see more adjustments made? Do you continue to see him uh, have the ability to drive the baseball? Final question is, where does he play? Is he an outfielder? You know, is, does he find a way to play third base? You know, They have Devers there, so that's probably unlikely. Does he move to first? Well, you have Casas there. And I think for both of us, as we talked this offseason, that question mark of where does playing time get found is in question for Jordan. Um, I think that's probably also why I have Ortiz above him because we do just have so many question marks about where exactly he will play. And that tool that he was drafted on, which was the power, isn't gone, but it's not nearly as prodigious as it was as some of those mechanical, mechanical tweaks have taken on to give him a better average and a better on-base uh, approach. So Jordan, I think, is probably the safest player left on our list as we go through the, the rest of our ranks. Uh, there is more question mark in, in, in case there's also uh, a lack of minor league production for a couple of these guys. So Blaze right now is definitely a guy I'm, I'm interested in, but question marks for playing time is definitely a concern for me.
0: Yeah, and as we move down this list, there's going to be question marks for a lot of these guys um, as they fall through the ranks. So curious who your number five is since you – this is where we start to deviate. My number five is Ryan Clifford of the now New York Mets. He was previously – for the Houston Astros, he was drafted in 2022, the 11th round, 343rd overall. Um, He is highly decorated. Um, He fell because – of a commitment to Vanderbilt and then slumped a little bit at the circuit. Um, He's a little bit lower because he does strike out a little bit much, but at his time with the Houston Astros, he went from low A to high A. Um, In low A, he batted 337 in 25 games and then 271 in 58 games. Then he gets traded, goes to New York in 32 games, bats 188, still puts up six homers. Um, I'm going to give him a pass just because on the younger side, you're getting traded. I feel like that whole scenery change messes with your mentality and your focus on the game. Overall, all said, through and through, bet at 262, put up 24 homers, 140 strikeouts. That's the big red flag here. Um, 140 strikeouts in 115 games. So you're striking out at least once or twice every single game. I don't like to see that. I would love to see him strike out less. Um, I think that brings up his average. He needs to work on that. I'm sure he will. I'm hoping he will. Um, if not, he will start to fall in my rankings. So that's Ryan Clifford. Where do you have Ryan Clifford, and is he your number five?
1: So Clifford's going to slot into number six for me. I'm actually going to go ahead and put Spencer Jones at number five. Ooh. Yeah, spicy. and it's challenging because Spencer Jones obviously has his own bugaboos about him. Uh, obviously, big profile, six 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 seven. There is swing and miss in the profile. But Yankee Stadium, a left-handed stick, presumably probably moving to first base once Rizzo's out of the organization in a few years here. Maybe outfield still, but I think when you're talking about Judge, Dominguez, and whoever plays that third role in the 2025 season, I think Soto has a fantastic chance of resigning now that Yamamoto is not on the club. I think the Yankees, this is a side piece, but I think they go fully in on Roki Sasaki uh, as soon as he's posted and again, that could be 2024, could be 2025, could be 2026, 28. You know, we don't, we just don't know with his profile being 21 or 22 over in Japan. It could be three years. Um, I think they have the money to spend. So I'm going ahead and saying Soto is staying in that outfield or the Yankees will bring in another outfielder, cementing Judge Dominguez and that to be player. That gives Jones the opportunity to slide over to first base and give them finally a first baseman of the future which they've been searching for for so many years now. And I think, again, that right field wall, his approach, his pedigree, you're talking about a guy that's probably going to be a 230 to 250 hitter, uh, probably has the opportunity in Yankee Stadium, and I'm going to go out and say it and hit 30, 35, 40 home runs, maybe in his prime year, possibly a 40 home run hitter because of the the stadium. Um, And that, for me, slides him into five. A lot of risk attached. But I think when you're talking about Ryan Clifford, there's just not that really big tool attached to the ballpark. Clifford's probably going to be more uh, more of a league average top 13 first baseman in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I sh- I have Spencer Jones at eight, but I would argue, and I should have prefaced this, my five through eight, I really struggled with who I wanted to rank. I was texting you on the side who who I should have at six over seven and seven over eight, so... I would say my five through eight are so close that you're literally splitting hairs at the first base position. So just preface that because I have Jones at eight and Clifford at five, but it very well could be Spencer Jones at five and Ryan Clifford at eight. And it all depends on how they progress and these things are fluid. So um, at my number six, though, I have Bryce Eldridge of the San Francisco Giants. Um, He was drafted... I think he's a 2A player, wasn't he? He's also a right-handed pitcher. He was taken 16th overall in this most recent draft, Six foot seven, two 223. His scouting, I think he sticks at first base. His scouting report for a hitter is a 50-grade hit, 60-grade power. Doesn't really provide much in terms of running, but he really rose to my ranks because I saw what he did in his debut. 31 games, went from rookie to low A as a... 19-year-old, batted 294 across both levels, um, threw in six home runs, 20 walks to 34 strikeouts. Love that. Even chipped in one stolen base. I don't think he's going to give you any stolen bases, but love the profile from him. Love the the potential here. Um, and, And yeah, I mean, he's a little bit behind where Ryan Clifford is developmentally, but I liked what I saw in his first stint as a pro debut with the San Francisco Giants. Do you have no? You have Ryan Clifford at number six, so we'll skip over your six. Um, anything else on Bryce Elder is here, number seven. Um, otherwise, I'll move on to my number seven to catch up to your rankings.
1: Yeah, he's he's number seven for me. Everything you said is completely accurate, and the only thing I will add is is this is an odd thing for me to hit on, but it's really important in the way that I evaluate players. I love players that have their birthdays fall at the back half of a calendar year because Bryce Aldridge's birthday coming in 10 20, he's playing his age 19 season in 2024. So we'll evaluate his age 19 season as his first full season, as opposed to other players who are, are coming into their age one or their season one at age 20. So for me, he gets an extra year development to really kind of rise through a ball and then looking at age 20 season, hopefully being at double a, and that's a huge advantage for him. And I know it's a simple aspect of a player's profile, but you know, you're know you talking about this paying dividends as we talk about age to level. So, you know, six home runs, batting 294 and 109 at bats, just really liked what we saw. And I think you're right. I think he sticks probably at first base or outfield. Um, MILB.com has him listed as an outfielder, but at six, seven, I think the reality is he probably ends up at first and this could be a player that we are overjoyed to watch with the San Francisco Giants. I mean, you talk about a left-handed bat going from McCovey Cove yet again. The Giants are trying to interject more and more power into this lineup, and I think this is a fantastic draft pick, 116. You know, This is a guy that can anchor the power in the middle of this uh, this lineup for years to come. We do need to see him have a full season of Pro Bowl. Watch the strikeouts again at 6'7". Same concerns we would have for Spencer Jones. You know, can he shorten that stroke and be a guy that can give you a 270 plus average, or is he a 250 power first approach?
0: Yeah, and that that that's a great point. I should have looked at his age. I listed him as 19 in his pro debut, but it was actually 18 because um, we are well into December. So that is that is a great point. Well, um, it's hard,
1: you know, because you and this is something that I was trying to find a a variable um, like transition code for within Sheets you know, to put the birthdays in as opposed to just the age, because the age can be very deceiving for a lot of us, especially after you go through a tier and you're like, okay, he's 19. Boom. I'm going to evaluate him as so when you look back in even three months, you just forget the fact that he, he had a October birthday and you're like, oh, he's 19. Like he's going to be 20. Like I've now I've got to evaluate him with the 20 year olds. And it's like, oh no, I don't. Right. Like those are really key aspects where I think I have to make a, a kind of a change in the way that I am uh, listing out birthdays.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move to my number seven, and that's Tyler Locklear of the Seattle Mariners. He's 23 years old, and the 2022 draft went in the second round, 58th overall. Um, a little bit lower scouting grades by MLB, 45 hit, 55 power. But coming out of the draft, the comps were to Pete Alonzo and how great his swing was and the power that he produces. Um, his numbers haven't really showcased it quite yet. Um, He went from rookie ball all the way to double A this past year, batted 288, put up 13 homers. So the power didn't really translate there, but loved his walk to strikeout ratio, 47 walks, 76 strikeouts, even chipped in 12 stolen bases there. So he's kind of a a different blend, not compared to Ryan Clifford, um, a little bit more in between there. Um, And that's Tyler Locklear. And then we just talked about Spencer Jones at my number eight. So we've gotten through your first seven, Matt, Tyler Locklear, your thoughts, and then who is your number eight?
1: Yeah, Locklear is going to come in at 11 for me. I just need to see more in-game production from him. You and I had talked about what's the position he played before we jumped on today. It looks like he has solidified as a first baseman. At least we know moving forward, we can rank him there based off his breakdown for the season. It was either DH or first base. I'd like to have that clarity, at least from an organizational perspective of where they expect to play a player. Because when you're drafting these guys in first-year startup dynasties or you're looking to acquire them via trade in already ongoing dynasties, you need to know that you're filling a hole for the future and that that player doesn't get bumped somewhere else where you may have depth. So Locklear is a guy that I think I'd be targeting as a secondary piece in a dynasty trade or be looking to move maybe a fourth or fifth-round first-year player draft pick for if you're in a 15-team, 20-team kind of concept um, because there are some names still there as the leagues get more shallow in this first year player draft that I think I'd rather have. But overall, if if you did not acquire one of our top 10 players and you're lacking at first base, I think this is a player that you could look at at age 25, 26, really providing big league at bats and big league production. And we just need to hope that the lineup around him is also conducive conducive towards success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So who uh, is your number eight, then? I was
1: really aggressive here, and I thought to myself, you know, 23 total played appearances at-bats, excuse me, was enough for me to really be aggressive on this player, and that is Ralphie Velazquez for the Indians. And we talked a little bit before we jumped on. Um, He was drafted as a catcher, first baseman out of Huntington Beach. We talked about him in our catcher preview last week. I am bumping him now to first base because he only played first base in DH in those many 23 at-bats he had, you know, big sample size for us. Um, it is going to be a question mark, though, for the Indians, right? Whether they keep him at catcher or they, they move him to first base full-time, you already have Manzardo, you have Naylor, you have Naylor at both positions. So there's already, you know, some defined roadblocks for Velasquez to really come in and make a big impact. Now, at 18 years old, uh, you do have a, it looks like a June birthday, um you know he's going to be coming into his age 19 season which again we talked about we like a lot and the question mark is playing time I'm not going to worry about that right now he's so young he's so far down in this organization right now being in the rookie affiliate that I'm really liking the bat Uh, that was the approach he was taken for out of Huntington Beach 23rd overall was the bat and I think this could be a player that we watched similar to Isaac and Basalo last year in the 2024 campaign, absolutely tear the cover off the ball at the lower levels, where we're now talking about Velasquez being a guy that you absolutely must have. For me, this is the time to target him. In first-year player drafts, I would be aggressive about my pick here. I would look for him early second round in 15 to 20 pick uh, leagues. If it's a 20-team league, I might even be willing to trade up until that 18, 19 slot and take him. And I don't have enough data yet on where he's going to fall. I have one 30-man league where he fell to the second round, so that's probably the only data point I have, but I like him enough where I would have taken him in that 18-22 to range.
0: Nice. I do like Ralphie. Um, I got him in our points dynasty league as a backup to my Luis Campusano after I missed out on Kyle Teal. So everything you said is making me feel a little bit better on my catcher position there. Um, coming in at number nine for me at first base is Ivan Melendez, somebody we liked coming out of college, was a Golden Spikes winner. It's the same award that Dylan Cruz won last year. Um, prodigious power, we'd love to see that. His issue is strikeouts. He had a down year coming out of the draft in 2022, batted only 206, 3 homers in 29 games so you didn't really see the power translate this past year he did go from high A to Double A batted 272 so you love to see that the power finally translated 30 home runs but here's the kicker only 31 walks to 146 strikeouts in 379 at bats that equates to a 39% strikeout rate you hate to see that he needs to get that down in order to move up the ranks for me um, I don't see him as a high average. I see him as a 230 to 240 hitter that's going to give you 30 to 35 homers. Um, but he really needs to work on that strikeout rate. Otherwise, I don't see him progressing at all. So he is probably the one on this list that I could see moving all the way up to number two or three if he fixes his swing. But as of right now, <laughs> excuse me, I can't. I can't buy into Ivan Melendez at this point. Yeah, so.
1: yeah, the strikeout rate. I mean, we could say the same things about James Wood, except Melendez doesn't he doesn't have the speed, right? He's a one right. outcome player in fantasy. Probably better in points leagues, but you know, most points leagues don't structure like ours do. We are not impacted negatively by a strikeout, which right. I love. And if you're listening and you don't do that, give it a shot. It's fantastic. It makes these players even more valuable. Um, but yeah, I mean Close to a 30% strikeout rate throughout his minor league career, if not higher, he's falling for me. Um, I had moved him out of my top ten just because of everything you said, and you know I just like some of these other players a little bit more. Um, Number nine for me is your your friend Medina. We could be having the same concerns about Medina next year, you know, but a little bit younger, a little bit uh, lower level, much lower level DSL for that matter. Um, But God, I really wanted melendez to be good because i've just been praying to god that we could finally have a really good power hitting melendez in the major leagues and it looks like we're going to be over for two
0: yeah yeah well we'll have to see i'm not completely out on melendez like you are yet but let's talk a little bit about your Fran medina um he comes in at my number 10 he started out this season hot in the dsl in june batted 400 then he kind of fell off in July and August, batted 111 and then 222. Altogether, batted 267 with five homers um, to finish out the um, season. Excuse me. Um, the underlying numbers suggest this is a guy just ready to pop. He's got all the potential. He's got the size, he's got the frame in the Dodgers row system. So I don't know. He's a ways away, DSL. So we're talking four or five, maybe six years away. Um, I don't like his end of the season, but I still like the upside, and that's why he comes in at number 10 for me. Anything else you want to mention on your Fran Medina?
1: No, I think you nailed it. I was wrong, um, and it's funny that I was wrong when we were talking about Ralphie Velasquez. He did go in the first round of my 30-man FYPD. Okay. Um, also, we can't draft um, J-15 guys yet. We can't draft international, so that, that is a kind of starter point for this. He went 20. So when I told you 18 to 23, that kind of right there, it looks like his value is also being placed at that level. Once you get these international guys in, it probably pushes him closer to that 22 range. Um, But again, only data point I have from a first-year player draft that's kicked off, again, go out and get him. I think when you talked about backing up your catching position of Campusano, I don't expect Velasquez to be a catcher, but... If you have the Basalo of next year in Velazquez, it doesn't matter what position he is. He could be DH only. Um, just wanted to clarify that a little bit so everyone has a, a fair gauge of where they could possibly be drafting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, that rounds out my top 10 first base prospects. Do you have more ranks listed, Matt, or is that it for you? Oh, I always have more ranks listed. Yeah, Let's you always see have more.
1: If we can, So my top 10 finishes off with Hunter Goodman. Kansas, excuse, Kansas City Royals, that would be nice. Colorado Rockies, which is even nicer for us in fantasy. Strikeout concerns, similar concerns to what we had talked about uh, with Melendez as well as Locklear. I, I think I like Goodman a little bit more than both of those other players, definitely more than Melendez. And this is going to be a player that's fighting for playing time, but is going to have the opportunity before the Rockies' you know, full youth movement hits the major leagues to kind of bounce around positionally. First base, catcher, he is also a catcher-eligible player. Um, can play a little bit of outfield. I think he'll be given the shot this year. The bat has to catch up. The bat has to play. His concern is power first approach. Um, and we need to see that power really come to play. But you're talking about a 30, 35 home run player at his absolute peak. If he has full playing time. And again, the question mark is, can he continue to play as some of these younger players start to really come up and shine as well as the Rockies having uh, a few former first base prospects that are also fighting for playing time themselves. Locklear comes in at 11. The big name that we haven't mentioned that a lot of people in the industry aren't talking about is uh, Wilfred Varis for the White Sox, currently listed as a third base, first base kind of combo. Varus had a really nice season this year and is kind of getting lost in the dumps of this organization overall because the White Sox, as we know, haven't produced a lot of talent over the last few years. Colson Montgomery obviously being the biggest name that we know of. Uh, but Varus has got a great line for me coming into the 2023 season, full year, 524 at bats, 17 home runs, 24 stolen bases, batting 286. And from the little bit of research I did on him, the word is that there's a good chance that he will be playing first base at the major league level. Now, again, questions and concerns about where does he play in the diamond? I think the good thing with Varus is there's the opportunity in a lot of different positions. And for me, he's coming into my first base ranks tentatively as well as my third base ranks.
0: Yeah, Wilfred Varis, uh, definitely a guy who's been under the radar. You're the one that actually got me onto him, so thank you for that. Um, it was actually completely side and off topic is they have Shane Drohan as a White Sox now. I thought he was on the Red Sox. Did I miss a trade or something that happened? Let's take, a, uh, let's take a quick look here. Okay. I'll let you finish on Varus and then I'll talk about Shane Rohan. I just looked it up, so I've got some info on that.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to reference the positional eligibility for Varus here, kind of pulled a baseball reference just so that we all have some clarity based off where he's going to be playing. Uh, 2021, he played 18 games at first base, so there was the opportunity for him to stick there. 13 at third base, kind of transitions to the outfield, 2022, played 54 games at first base, 19 at third. So definitely heavy at first base in 2022. 2023, though, we see a drastic change. One game at first base, nine games at left field, 10 games in uh, in outfield overall, center field, one game in right field, 18 at DH. And then fully it in 2023, um, 102 games in right field. So it looks like the White Sox are preparing various to be an outfielder. We might have to adjust these rankings. He was a name at first base I wanted to throw out there from just, again, things I had heard. It does look like outfield will be his position of choice for the White Sox right now, but things can change. Keep an eye on him. And in Dynasty, he's a guy that I think you can get, not for dirt cheap, but you could really go out and find a nice uh, quality major league starter in varus for a discount right now.
0: Yeah, Varus definitely somebody to keep an eye on. All right. Quick pause on the finishing of your first base rank. Shane Johan was part of a Rule 5 draft. He was taken by the Chicago White Sox from the Boston Red Sox. Um, For those of you who don't know who Shane Rohan is, somebody I really like to begin the season. He started the year off hot, left-handed pitcher, was on the Red Sox. I thought he might have had a chance to make an ascension similar to what Andrew Abbott did. He started double A, going 5-0 with a 1-3-2 ERA with 36 strikeouts and 34 innings, all in May, before he gets promoted to triple A, where he falls off. He was six four seven era in 21 appearances so definitely the wheels fell off as he got to the higher levels of the minors um he was a fifth round draft pick in 2020 six foot three so um i still liked what i saw from him but i'm curious to see what happens with him in the white Sox. white Sox have sneakily been accumulating some interesting pitching prospects in the past year for sure so a little side note on that, but I will let you go ahead and finish your first base rankings now.
1: Yeah, and you know the, the rest of these names, Spencer Horowitz, we like for the Blue Jays again. Playing time's an issue. It doesn't look like Vlad's going to be moved. I think those rumors have quieted down a little bit. Horowitz, twenty six, nice bat. Um, you know, a guy that I think again has been blocked because of playing time. Uh, Matt Mervis still comes in on this list. Matt Mervis, unfortunately has had his own concerns with productivity at the major league level, uh, as well as the Cubs continuing to bring in talent constantly holding back his overall development at the major league level. But he still makes the list because I think especially at first base is an opportunity, no matter the age, as you get closer to 30, those opportunities get a little bit uh, fewer and far between, but until you hit 30 teams are willing to give you a shot. Teams are, are willing to, uh, to acquire you if they're in a position where they're rebuilding. And then Last name on this list is um, still a guy that's in a lot of FYPDs because of overall rule structures, but Nolan uh, Chenal for the Angels is a guy that I really, really like to target right now in startup leagues because he is my perfect fit for that corner infield position. You're looking at a guy that's not going to give you the 25 home runs, but he's really going to have great contact. I project him as a 300 major league hitter the majority of his career, Uh, a great OBP a guy that you can really plug into that corner uh, infield position and take more power risks at first base or maybe third base. And he's really going to help average those numbers out. And he's falling in drafts because of the lack of power, because of the lack of, uh, of speed. But he's definitely a guy I'm targeting if you can have value on him. I think I missed out on him in a few leagues this year because he was literally taking a round that I had projected to take him the following pick. But keep an eye on him maybe go after the acquisition if you have a quarter infield slot available as your starting lineup proceeds
0: yeah i liked a lot of the guys you said there at the end um i think that pretty much wraps up our first base dynasty rankings and our first base prospect rankings once again make sure you subscribe follow us give us five star rating follow us on twitter and we will go over second base on our next podcast until then we will talk to you guys later